Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey, it's the podcast guy. Something I talked on on podcast. It's the Sutton Podcast. Welcome back to another episode of Sutton United Talk Time on podcast. I'm delighted to say um, I've got a very special guest with us today. And um, don't normally do this because I'm terrible, terrible with um, facts and figures, as I'm sure people have realised by now. But I have checked some of these before I started. And we are talking someone who has been 10 slash almost 11 years, 11 seasons as chairman of the board, 35-ish seasons as a member of the committee, 12 years on the supporters club, and a supporter for over um, 50 years of Sutton United, which is the important stat out of all of those. All those other jobs are very important, but the important one is a supporter. As I've mentioned many times, most of the people on our board are actual supporters of the club. Um, very, very delighted to welcome Dave Fairbrother. How are you, Dave? I'm fine, thanks. Good evening. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. Thanks for um, fitting me in in your... well. Must be slightly more cleared schedule now, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, less busy than it was this time last year, certainly. Absolutely. Um, and that's one of the things I wanted to mention, because obviously we all see the stuff going on the pitch and the big important stuff of signings and players and what they're doing. But then there's just so many other jobs, and I know it gets posted up on the forums, uh, but there's so many other jobs we, we have going on behind the scenes at Sutton. And I've said a few of them that you've done, um, but 
how important are the volunteers side um still even though we're a league club um to you guys uh volunteering is still massive at Sutton united it always has been it's one of the reasons we think that makes us competitive and builds that special atmosphere within the club that we've always based been based around uh people who run the club who are supporters and they work with people that they've known for years as supporters uh and the volunteers we couldn't have run we couldn't have got into the national league we couldn't have got promoted into the football league without the input of our volunteers but it has to change because as i'm sure we'll cover later on being a football league club is very very different to even being a national league club which was a million miles away from being an isthmian league club uh and we're now a full-time professional outfit and we have to adapt to be that otherwise we won't be one for long yeah absolutely and i mean it's, if, if it's going to change them um, we we're saying just before we came on it's it's really strange being a football league club i know we are and we have every intention of staying there but a huge part of mine yours and a lot of people's identity is non-league football non-league football we know non-league football and now we're suddenly a, a league club but do you think this volunteering is why so many players throughout just throughout our history have, have, have really had that connection with the club because i know that a lot of them keep in touch and i know a lot of them really really look out for something even many years after they've left us I think it is a significant part. I think the atmosphere that the club has is unique. I think supporters of every club would say their club is special and the best. But then you hear people like Paul Doswell and Ian Baird and departing players say, don't change. Your atmosphere really is different to everywhere we've been before. And I honestly think it's true. Uh, I'll take you back to a, a story I was secretary of the sporters club and we'd brought out a book called Sutton United in the Isthmian League. It was to mark getting promoted into uh, the conference. Mm -hmm. And I had them printed by some local printing firm, collected them, and they were in the back of my battered Mark II Cortina. Took them to the game because I collected them in the afternoon, came out after the game, and my car wasn't where I'd parked it. So I'm thinking that one of the players has had a joke on me but no someone had nicked my car during the game on the one right. night in 55 years when it's ever had anything in the back of it worth taking they'd stolen my car so Sutton United centre forward one Michael Joyce got me to jump in his car and drove me around Sutton looking for it that wouldn't have happened at Manchester United Arsenal Chelsea never <laughs> but also the centre forward then who was I won't say he's my hero because I'm three months older than him, so it's <laughs> embarrassing. Uh, he's now one of my best friends. Mm. And again, that doesn't happen at Arsenal, Chelsea, whatever. That players that you grew up supporting. And we'll take another example, Larry Pritchard, who was one of my first footballing heroes because he is older than me, funny enough. <laughs> uh, and again, he's now a friend. We exchanged Christmas cards. He came to my wedding. It's a, that doesn't happen. And I think... Yeah. That's, we're not the only non-league club that ever happens at it happens it happens at them all but it happens repeatedly and often at Sutton united and i think the whole atmosphere of the club is one of we are all in it together it's a terrible cliched catchphrase ab came up with but it's true we are all in it together 
particularly the ones that have been through that journey over the last five to ten years that came up from seeing us in the Isthmian League and seeing us win promotion after promotion and cup run, and they know everybody. And I think, yeah, it is important. And we do keep in touch with old players. You know, the, particularly the, the, the team from the 80s, they are remarkable. If you get into a room with them, the conversation picks up where it left off 30, 40 years ago. It's as if nothing has changed. Yeah, the humour is the same. The stories are the same. It, it's very... I mean, it's nice. It makes it's like a warm pair of slippers in front of the fire. Yeah, no, it's amazing. And the, the I mean, wish we had this good and bad, but wish we had social media back then because um, the connection you can still get with the players now, just interacting with us. Um, there is only one little correction um, where you said in it together. I think you're supposed to actually punch your chest at that that point, and um, I think that's the whole thing. Punch your chest. <laughs> I played cricket for the first time in three years on Sunday. If I punch myself, I'm like... <laughs> uh, but, you know, it's, a, it's, a, it's just a brilliant connection. It, it's a, it's, I, I'd say we're, we're, we're a strange little club um, that's just grown massively. Um, but most people that have come along for the journey, I mean, there's huge jealousy for people who started supporting 11, 12 years ago of, of all they've ever seen is, is written. There's huge jealousy there. Um, <laughs> But they, they buy into it. I think that's the thing we, we often say to people. You come down here and hang around, you get hooked and you never leave. And it, there is a large element of that, that people have been involved for a long, long time. Uh, poor old Brian Williams, who's no longer with us, uh, joined the club about 40 years ago. And some of us used to refer to him as the newcomer. So. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Um, so you you supported in the sixties, um, the great teams and some of the names obviously we know, but you also had the scooting forward almost twenty years, the the, the brilliant Anglo Italian. Yes, um, yes, and in a sense, it sort of made this club, I think, mm -hmm. because the sixties have been a golden era uh, with the football that Sid Can's team played a forward line that wouldn't look out of place in relative terms as a Galacticos lineup at Real Madrid. You know, when your right winger can score 35 goals in a season, the left winger's getting another 20 without the centre forward, you know, adding yeah. on to that. It was a fair team to watch. And then the team lost, didn't lose its way, but it became harder to replace the players as they left or as they retired. Uh, and then the game went open. The distinction between amateur and professionals disappeared and the club didn't have the money to compete with the new money that was coming into the game and for six or seven years we were around the middle of the Isthmian league and then in 79 we got this invitation to compete in this strange anglo-italian tournament that i'm not sure any of us had ever heard of before um john parsons and one other supporter were the only two people who went out to watch the team in the qualifying games we did okay we then won our game in England to get through to the final. Took a coach, well, a plane load, I should say, of supporters out to Italy for the final. Won it against all the odds, against a team that was higher in status than we were, with a big crowd in a hostile environment, and we won. We went back the following year as holders. Had a week in Sorrento of supporters staying out there to watch the qualifying games, and then went back out again for the final in Trieste. It brought the players and supporters close together, but I think it changed the mindset of the players into actually we're a club that can win things. Mm -hmm. 
Keith Blunt had been the manager, but he got poached by Malmo, who, to people who don't know, at the time they'd just been in a European Cup final, so they weren't exactly minnows. That was a you know big coup for Keith to go there. Barry Williams, who'd been the assistant, took over. And Barry Williams had his way of building a team, as Dodds did, as Matt does, in his own image, that was successful. And he got the right players around him. And very much team building is about getting the right people. It's, I think yeah. it's assumed that if you're at this level, you have ability. It's then about having the right people who've got the right attitude to deliver what you want, who can understand what you want. Um, I think Barry once in a quote sometimes in the programme, Tony Dolber will correct me, we have a good set of chaps capable of understanding a multitude of set plays. <laughs> so unusual language for a, for a football manager. Yeah. But that team became successful and they very much went out together. They partied together. They celebrated together. They drowned their sorrows together. Uh, and the supporters were very much involved. We had parties where the supporters would come to end of season discos, Christmas parties with the players, and everyone was part of it. And I think that attitude has really hung on. It really has. And I think winning Ang the Anglo-Italian in 79 was a big turning point in the club history. Yeah, my, my era we're just kind of coming to and it's coinciding actually with when you first went on onto the um committee um is uh, <laughs> i have to be very specific it was october 88 um because i'm sure everyone's really bored about this but it was before we drew coventry and tickets went really really fast and i was like well i'm too new a supporter to get tickets for that big game so i won't do it well done mike um but that team with um Lenny, Paul, um, Paul Rogers, that was a, a, a brilliant team and they got me hooked. Um, what, what's your memories of that team with that, 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 that huge FA Cup period? Yeah, well, I got invited onto the management committee in 87 as the first team secretary, uh, basically because they knew me through being secretary of the Sporters Club uh, and I'd been speaking to people and Toffee Evenden, who'd had the role before and old-timers will know Toffee, uh, knew that I was a secretary of a Sunday league football club. So he said, OK, you're familiar. It's not that much different. So I got invited on to committee for 87-8. And I always claimed that was that was the reason we had our first FA Cup run, 87-8, when we played yeah. Middlesbrough, because I was there writing the team down. Absolutely. Yeah. And then the following year, we obviously had the run where we played Coventry in January 89. Uh, I was calm that day. I was actually convinced we were going to win. And went down William Hills in the morning. I know you're not allowed to these days to put a bet on as an official, but a group of us put enough money on to pay for all our drinks all evening. Wow. And I, when I tell you I had 16 pints that night, <laughs> we got through a lot of booze. Uh, it was uh, interesting that we would win with a team that actually probably wasn't the strongest team we'd had during that period. Mm. We'd probably been stronger a year or two earlier. Yeah. Uh, but that team had a belief instilled in them and they went out. And I think I'm right in saying in the second half, we didn't concede a free kick. We're the non-league team. We're the cloggers, supposedly. That's how the narrative goes. I don't yeah. think we conceded a free kick. In fact, from going 2-1 up, I think it was Mickey Stevens had a chance to make it three. Mm -hmm. And for 20 minutes, Coventry were all over the place. And people yeah. look at the highlights and see them peppering our goal. That was the last 10 minutes. Yeah. Up until then, they'd not done anything. No. <clears throat> no, I, I, yeah, no, absolutely. Um, 
we'll skip over the next round but no um next round yeah. I, I was i was i was very sad i was i, I remember did the results coming through i was in kilburn visiting my parents and uh burst into tears um but even then the the norwich players were applauding us off the pitch you they were and you have to be honest if a top six division one clubs it was then premier league clubs it would be now plays a non-league club they should win comfortably every time mm-hmm and the fact that just occasionally they don't is what makes it special. So to me, football and cricket and whatever sport is yet all about the effort that people put in and the teamwork, but it's about the glory. It's about doing the things that you remember for the rest of your life, whether you were a player or supporter or an official. Mm-hmm. And that's that's the things that drive us on. It's not the cold Tuesday night when you sneak a 2-1 win at Averley. It's playing Arsenal it's knocking Leeds United out. It's um, knocking Coventry City out. You remember those, and that's what builds the fabric of the club. And although they're history, that's what the club is. The club yeah. is its memories and its supporters. Yeah. I mean, I, I obviously at the time I was, I was quite young, I was 14, 15. I always felt it was very unfair, and I've said this before, that um, Paul McGinnon would be off in Sweden and Lenny would be doing all the running around and suddenly Paul would come back and everyone would be like, yay, Paul McGinnon's back. Um, I didn't quite understand the whole concept. I was like, I know, there's some good mechanics to that, though, because we needed the money. So every year we used to sell Paul McKinnon to Sweden. And then yeah. every year he'd come back for free. It was great. <laughs> yes, marvellous. Um, <clears throat> then sort of we come to the, 90, the 90s, which wasn't always the best. Um it was a variable decade. Yeah. The team that Alan Gain built played some of the best football I've ever seen a Sutton team play, comparable with the Sid Cann side of the late 60s. Mm. Uh, Gary Thomas, who was picked up uh, out of Sunday or Saturday football uh, mm. quite late in his career and was just magical. You had Simon Quayle, you had Dominic Feltham, you had Steve Brown. Footballers that knew what to do with the ball, were happy in control, and I look back at that trophy semi-final at Wickham when we won 3-2. Yeah. We were 3-1 up, I think, and could easily have gone four or five before they pulled a goal back. We were that good that day against the best non-league team in England, managed by Martin O'Neill. Mm. Uh, OK, we lost the second leg 4-0. Uh, no one will ever convince me that their equaliser wasn't scored by a guy that should have been sent off in the first minute of the match, which might have changed it. But... Uh, we that team doesn't alter the fact that it played such nice football. Yeah, then the rest of the decade, we had a couple of flirts with relegation. Uh, and then we appointed John Raines and we did well towards the end of the decade and obviously won the league again and got promoted. Mm-hmm. So it was, wasn't a disastrous decade. It was not consistent. No, but the, there was changes. I think towards the middle, um, the new stand, that I still call it the new stand, was built when we did the build a brick. Um, yeah, the one behind the goal. Yeah. yeah. Was that mid-90s? Or yes. Yeah, it would have been because that was up yeah. by the year 2000, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> um, so I still refer to that as a new stand-up until very recently because I think it was. Um, and then obviously, you, at this stage, you're you're fully on the committee. Um, and were you still secretary at that stage? Oh, well, well let me think. Uh, I was match secretary up until... Uh, 98 or 99 i think when i became company secretary so yeah so it would have been obviously our centenary was 98 mm-hmm. 
and I've been asked to chair the centenary committee. Right. So in 98, I got asked to join the board of directors, presumably as a reward <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> for uh, work on the committee of the centenary. Uh, and then I became almost within nine months, I took over from Ralph Carr as company secretary. And then a right. year later, I became club secretary as well and yeah. did those for seven or eight years until I suddenly realized one day we were playing at Dover. And some one supporter behind the goal said, I can't remember who the player was. Should he be playing? Shouldn't he be suspended? And I thought, well, perhaps you're right. And the daft thing with the with the football association is if they make a mistake, it's your fault. Yeah. So if oh. they if they forget to tell you that a player is suspended, you should have known anyway. Yeah. So I went home and checked. Unfortunately, the player hadn't racked up enough bookings to be suspended, but I thought I missed that. Mm. Uh, I'm too busy at work. Football's a part-time role. I need to give up being club secretary, otherwise I will miss something. So yeah. I stuck with being company secretary, and uh, and Gerard Mills took over from me as, as club secretary at that point. Yeah, I, I do know about the um, well, sorry FA, especially issuing fines for stuff you went. No, that's not me. <laughs> sorry. No, one of the FA do occasionally still send us uh, disciplinary sheets in the name of Sutton Coalfield, and we have to point oh, out we're nice. not. <laughs> uh, but the consequences of a player being suspended in a second round FA Cup tie that you've won, yeah, as opposed to a Morden District League Division Seven game, yeah, different, yeah, very different, yeah. And I didn't want to make that, no, absolutely, yeah. And um, and this this would have been the time my timelines are all off, so forgive where we had um, a, a really good young team with Nikki nurses, so um, that. That was have been the team of '93 with John Nurse. Uh, sorry, 2003. Yeah. Yeah. John Nurse, Nikki Bailey. Yeah. So just yeah. after. So up uh, towards the end of John Rains's reign at the club. Yeah. yeah. So I was. I happened to be talking to Matt, Matt Gray the other day. Um, sorry, the player. Um, and we we're just talking about that, and it, it felt obviously from my side as a supporter at the time, it was quite difficult because we had some really good young players, and we just couldn't keep them um, because of. Yeah. budget constraints and it did feel like oh we, we're never going to be we just no ambition and it was all that kind of conversation but i think people were quite rightly pointing towards like things like kingstonian at the time going this isn't going to happen to us yeah we, we, we're going to be playing football at a similar level for 20 years we're not but <laughs> yeah but it it feel, it's not a great model yeah but did it feel disappointing from from your sort of side on 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 the board and committee that we just couldn't do more to to keep them, or was it just a cut and dry? That's it, we can't do it. I think you. I don't want to say you know your place, but you know that there there are clubs around with bigger buying power than you, mm -hmm. and then when players are out of contract, so the Bosman rulings started to change the dynamic between club and players. If you go back 30 years, it was always far too heavily in favour of clubs. Personally, I think now it's going the other way. Uh, but it did mean that it was harder to keep hold of players. Players had greater freedom, which is fair enough. You have freedom in any other job. You can walk out of your job and go to somewhere else. Uh, but I think the big difference was we probably hadn't realised how much difference John Raines made. Mm -hmm. I remember signing one player. Uh, I won't name him. Uh but a well-known top non-league player 
who signed for us for, as he said, a heck of a lot more money than I was on at my previous club. But I've always wanted to play for John Raines. Mm. Player after player said, I've always wanted to be with John. He was just so well liked and so well respected. Uh, and I don't think we necessarily realised that once he'd gone, we'd have to pay more money for players significantly. Yeah. It became a lot harder. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so we, we had a period of, unusually for us, a few different managers. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, you could almost go a timeline with only a few different managers going back years and years and years, but then there was a few different managers and um, a period of time we, we struggled. And then um, as we were floating and bobbing around, along came Doz. Yeah, that was quite strange. I was, we thought we were getting Jimmy Dacker's manager. Mm -hmm. uh, we'd almost appointed him a couple of years earlier. Uh, and he came along to the caretaker role in the year we went down. And the mood changed. And we basically discussed it with him and he was really keen. And then he turned around and he told Bruce, actually, I don't want the job. And in all the time I've known Bruce, and I've known Bruce since the early 70s, I don't think I've ever known him as down as he was then because we thought we had our new manager. Mm -hmm. And on the Monday morning, I got a phone call at my desk at work. And it was Steve West, I think. It might have been Steve Watts. I think it was Steve West. He said, I hear Jimmy's not taking the job. And he said, how do you know that? And he said, I've got someone in back of my car that wants to speak to you. And it was Doz. We arranged to speak to him fairly promptly i think didn't know much about him having spoken to him we were convinced that he was worth speaking to again and we got in front of the whole board and as bruce likes to say and it is perfectly true it is the first instance in history of the manager interviewing the club mm -hmm. uh but we needed it it gave us the shake-up it shook us out of that mentality of people will sign for us because we're certain united yeah change things it didn't always work, but he wanted to try new ideas. A lot of them worked. And he instilled that mentality into us, I think, of actually we should be at the top table. Yeah. We really should. We, let's look who's there. We should be up there with those clubs. Uh, and I think clearly he is a massive part of what we've achieved over the last 15 years. Yeah, I mean, I, every now and then, especially when we look at attendances that we're currently getting, I do like to go back a little bit and just see where the attendances were. Um, but you can't help looking at the clubs that we were playing against in the same league. And you're like, I just can't imagine playing that, that club now. Things like Croydon and, and stuff. You're like, we moved so far that we just can't imagine playing them again. Um, well, touch wood. Uh, <laughs> and, and um, of course, they could come up. So yes, no, absolutely. Yeah, but, absolutely. Um, I get what you're getting at. Yeah. But the Doz area is... I think I don't remember all the details, and maybe you can. And it's, it's it's definitely not as dodgy as it sounds. But is that when you 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 had the experience of signing someone in a service station, or was that? A, or was that uh, a no, that was one of John's signings. Oh, was it? Okay, yeah, that was one of John's signings. <laughs> that was that was in fact that was the player who said I've always wanted to play for John. Oh, okay, yeah. so just talk, talk us through that because it does sound quite. <laughs> I was living in Hampton at the time. And I got a phone call late one. Must I guess it must have been a Thursday night. Otherwise, there wouldn't have been a hurry. Yeah. So we had to get him signed to play on Saturday. Uh, and it was a case of John says, right, can, here's the, the players' numbers. Here's all the contract details. So the first thing is to type out the whole all the contract. Mm -hmm. And that's the palaver. 
it takes ages to type a blimmin contract out and get it all ready uh at least john used to settle on the numbers does won't mind me saying that i did the contracts for him and then he phoned up half an hour later and said right we've changed them <laughs> yes <it all> again. <laughs> uh, so i found the player and i i whether he was at work or something, I can't remember, but we ended up, we agreed to meet at a service station just off the M3 at about 20 to 12. The, the petrol station had actually closed. I was very conscious of uh, the only people looking at us being on CCTV cameras. See, why, yeah. why this strange man's getting in my car and reached <laughs> But that's not the first time I've done that. Well, it actually was the first time. I did it again. Did it for Doz. When we signed... Uh, Billy Chatterway and the centre forward whose name escapes me from Dulwich. The same thing happened. I did it uh, oh. lunch break, uh, not far from the MI6 building. Got in a car, exchanged brown envelopes, got out and walked away. And I'm thinking <laughs> half the spies in the UK are now watching me, <laughs> wondering why on earth I've exchanged an envelope outside the MI6 building. But there we go. Yeah. I mean that that was a fairly strange period because even some of the names and as I as I was saying I look through the from the lane website every now and then. My memory is shocking anyway, but seeing some of the names, I'm like, I don't remember that person playing. I'm exactly us. the same. Um, just literally, it was a churn. The, the revolving door it got called. Um, Does some some great players, and he signed some players who've been good somewhere else that weren't any good for us at all, and he signed some players that did, gave the impression they didn't want to be there. And yeah. no, that happens. It happens to all football managers. That, mm -hmm. that that was what happens. And yeah, I don't remember some of those players at all. Yeah, honestly, just, I look at the I look at the list of names and go, John Smith. I yeah. don't know who you are. Fred <laughs> Brown. <laughs> you I don't remember. You, you look and see if they played like forty games. I'm like, I really don't remember. No, nah, nah. But Dos was certainly manager, and I suspect he had quite a lot to do with the whole season ticket ninety nine pound changing. The, the ethos of it was very much his idea originally yeah he came to us and said i've been doing some thinking uh we need to get the crowd up we need it's a big ground we need an atmosphere in the ground how do we get more people in we should charge he said you know we've got to keep the money coming so we can't drop just drop the prices and of course there was an Isthmian league limit on yeah maximum price and lowest price anyway he said, well, we can reduce the season ticket price. Let's get people in. And once they're in, that's that whole thing. Once you're at Sutton United, you're hooked. Let's get them in. Uh, and so he said, you know, let's, let's go at £99. And let's see what the total income is at the end of the season. As, and I'm sure as, as, a, as a manager and board of directors, we can make up the difference if we lose money. He said, but we won't. And he was right. We didn't lose money. We took more money than we had the previous season. And, of course, the timing was good because that was also the year that we changed to the 3g pitch mm -hmm. and the team did well and it was serendipity lucky accidents happening all together 3g pitch lower prices to get in a successful team uh the club's junior teams and girls teams and women's teams using our pitch and suddenly having a hub that built a focus in the community that we were now all in it together again. Mm -hmm. Fun <laughs> so it all worked and the crowd went up from 670 odd to 1100 and something, I think. Yeah. And then no, there was a definite feeling of 
obviously because there wasn't that many season tickets it wasn't such a big thing before no. um and i used to go to most matches but when it was like freezing cold and like not i was like oh do you know what i don't know if i can fancy it tonight but then once you've got the season ticket you're like well, i've already paid for my ticket now so i'm, I'm gonna go um and there were certain times you're like thinking yeah i think i would have rather been at home in the warm but i'm here now um and I've, i'm not i'm pretty sure most people were kind of like no i've paid for the ticket i'm going to all the games that's it i've done it now um i was thinking that the other day as i as i was sorting out my season tickets looking at more going it's changed from 99 pounds but the team's yeah. changed from teams changed from a 99 pound team it i mean 12 years on or 10 years on whatever it is, we, can all, we can say it was always the intention that it would have to go up yeah, no, no, you can't sustain 99 pounds forever no uh but, but it went up i think in sensible increments that it was always still yeah. a bargain and i think it's still a bargain now yeah for where we are, basically you know as, as a london club yeah in the football league i think it's still fair value the one i disagreed with was the year we turned 120 and ab set the price at 119 and i was furious i was going it's our 120th <laughs> year ab that extra pound come on That's a, a marketing man he was probably torn between the 119 <laughs> sounds so much cheaper than 120 yeah. and and the the lining up yeah. of, of, the, yeah. of the year and the price and he, no. he probably probably almost had a heart attack trying to yeah. decide I, well i refused my change i was like nope <laughs> you keep that pound so it made me happy um, but as you mentioned, the, the 3G pitch, that must have been a huge, huge talking point and decision to make. Yes and no. If you know the ground, you'll know that we've always had a problem with water under it. Mm -hmm. And we think it's because we're on one of the spring lines. So I remember I went to Sutton Manor School. And when we laid the swimming pool in the playground, our geography teacher was over the moon because it actually illustrated what he'd been teaching us for years the line between the chalk and the London clay. Mm -hmm. And that's where you get springs coming up, funnily enough. And we think that line went under our pitch. And our groundsman, who was a director of the club, Steve Moore, many people will know him, have been saying for years, I'm never going to be able to give you the playing surface you want. If you want to play reserve and youth matches on it, you will end up playing on a mud pie at the end of the season, which is why we moved the youth and reserves to Banstead. But we still couldn't get a great service surface. We were spending money on it each summer. It was okay for the first few months of the season. Better it had never been. But after Christmas, it wasn't great. And I remember Doz saying the moment for him that made his mind up was when a pass was played out to the wing to Dundo. He went to trap it and it bounced over his foot. Mm. And he said, we can't play football on a pitch like that and he, to, to win leagues with good players. Uh, and Steve Moore, funnily enough, even though his speciality is sports turf, the name of the firm, He'd been saying for a couple of years, you should seriously look at the new 3G pitches. He said, that's the only way you'll get a decent playing surface and you'll be able to bring your reserve and youth team back. And when we did the sums, it just made sense. And as everybody knows, it's not a trade secret. Dodds said, well, I'll put up the money for it. You can pay me back over a period of time, uh, you know, amortize the cost. He said, it makes sense. And it did. And I think for those of us that are football traditionalists, and particularly if you'd ever played on the old AstroTurf, you thought, oh, my God, what we're letting ourselves in for. And honestly, within 10 minutes of the first match on it starting, I'd forgotten it was plastic. Yeah, no. It's... I hear the I... comments from other clubs and fans in particular. And you think, you're getting your excuses in early. The pitch does not play the way you're saying it does. No, in fact... It was the opposite, and I think it was um, 
I'm fairly confident it was David James and it was one of the matches the TV cameras were there and David James was asked about it and he said no the only the only advantage this pitch gives you is you know your pass is going to run true he said that's the advantage is players who can't pass the ball will, will say it's awful because they're going to get found out players who can actually play the ball are going to love it because they know that their pass is going to travel true um and the other thing about the injuries i did find it not obviously not ironic or, or not funny at all but our injury list last season compared to the previous five seasons yeah. was, hang on a minute this magic pitch that's going to cause injuries we never seem to get any there are no statistics that suggest through g pitches cause more injury than grass the worst injury we've had in recent years was Tommy Wright getting his studs caught in the grass at Lake Norrin, of course. Lake Norrin, absolutely, yeah. Um, but my mercenary hat for the 3G pitch was kind of something you'd said earlier, able to get all the youth players playing on it. And I'm sitting there looking going, this is genius because they now, this is their pitch, this is their home. They're going to tell their kids in 30 years' time, I played there, Daddy was on that pitch. Or Mummy as well, sorry. Um, when we were promoted... And we obviously knew we had to go to grass and mm -hmm. had to take up the 3G. I can honestly say the directors were so disappointed because we knew what it would mean to lose that facility. And we looked and we looked and we looked about how we could retain it somewhere. And there just wasn't mm. a possibility. It's something I know the club would like to carry on looking to try and get something back. Um, either in the recreation ground, if we can persuade the council to, to, to work with us or somewhere else locally because it does make a fabulous difference to the community side of the club to have that facility available yeah and i think that's i think we eventually got the message out because um there were quite a lot of i mean I, I, I don't think you do much social media but there was quite a lot of supporters going into back because everyone said oh you just want that pitch because it gives you an advantage and um your, your first team are going to do this and we were all basically saying we're not interested in the first team. The first team are going to have a pitch. We know that. There's, there's, that's beyond any doubt. What we're worried about is the, the kids, the ladies' teams, the uh, community teams, all these academy sides. We're worried where they're going to be. And eventually the message did actually get out that, oh, actually Sutton aren't just interested in their first team. They're interested in the whole the whole shebang. There was also um, the, the, the misinformation around, Oh, the only reason you're successful is because of the enormous amount of money you make at the 3G pitch. Yeah. Actually, you don't. Yes, you make a profit, but it costs best part of half a million pounds to lay, and it lasts eight to ten years. So if you talk mm -hmm. about £50,000 a year for the pitch, mm -hmm. you've then got to pay someone to run it. There are maintenance costs. So actually, the pitch is costing you over £100,000 a year. Yeah. And you bring in maybe one hundred and fifty. So mm -hmm. actually, you end up with perhaps a 40k profit. Which is nice, but it's not exactly going to win you the league. No, no, absolutely not. Um, I do. I do <laughs> the, the missus wasn't very happy because there was a five-a-side thing or six-a-side thing there, and she walked onto the pitch with her UGG boots, and um, she was moved off of the pitch very, very, yeah, very quickly. Yeah, yeah. We <laughs> were very she, careful about it. Yeah, and then she saw uh, when she we build up to the Arsenal match, all the all the uh, press just stomping all over the pitch, and I had to message Bobby going. She ain't happy, Bobby. <laughs> no, no. Neither, well, neither am I. Neither am I. No, no, no. Bobby looked after that pitch uh, like it was his uh, own child. Yeah. Yeah.
Thank you for taking the time to listen to Sutton United Talk Time on podcast, the Sutton Podcast. If you are new to the show, hello, and you are very welcome. Hope you enjoy what we do. It's a very simple format. We get a few people on to talk about the game that's just gone, and then we preview the next game coming up. We are available on most podcast platforms where you can listen, rate, and review. If you find that we're not on your preferred platform, please let me know and I'll sort that for you. If anyone would like to support the podcast, you can find out how with more information on the website, which is www.suttonpodcast.com. And there's a tab where you can find out how to be a guest as well. Please find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok with the username at Sutton Podcast. Every like, follow, and share is really appreciated. Hope you enjoy the rest of the show. Thank you. With the pitch, obviously, we, we, we had that amazing cup run, um, which I think, phrase, I think, was it yourself that said it? Everyone was turned up to 11, um, that just everything just went crazy. Um, the Arsenal game, yeah, it yeah. just went loopy. Uh, I was there in 70 when we lost to Leeds 6-0. Fair mm-hmm. enough. They did put out 11 internationals and they were the best team in Europe at the time. Uh but I was disappointed. I was 12 years old and I wasn't happy to lose 6-0 at home. So waited 47 years for revenge and they say it's a dish best served cold. So one of my favourite ever Sutton United moments is Sutton 1 leads nil. Yeah. One of my worst ever Sutton moments is being drawn against Arsenal. I hated it. It's That match is one of the low points. I know it's one of the high points in the club's history. It's yeah. one of the low points in my time supporting Sutton United. I didn't really get to see the game on the night because mm-hmm. I was going to safety officer, I should point out. So yeah. I was involved in all the planning and everything for that. Uh, and I've still not watched it back on my recording. I can't bring myself to watch it. I hated it. It, I mean, taking a little step back on that run is, um, I think it was, was it Forest Green quite early? Yeah. Um, I Late winner. Yeah, I kind of had left my little normal spot on the curve. And I'd started walking and waking. I'd never leave the ground early, but I started to make my way round, um, thinking this is going to go to a replay. And um, just as I got right beside the post, it went in. Yeah. So then that that was my spot for the cup thing at that point. Um, we then not that you're superstitious. Oh, you know, not at all. I get very upset when I, I get to the ground nearly an hour early now, just to make sure I can stand where I'm supposed to stand. <laughs> but the. And then we had that mad away game. That oh, the best, absolutely... cup, best one of the best games we've ever seen. Dartford yeah. three, Sutton six. Yeah, it yeah. was just insane. It was like, don't go to the toilet. <laughs> You're going to miss something. And it wasn't just any time somebody shot, the ball went in. Every time somebody no. shot, it was a corker. They were cracking yeah. goals. It was just an absolutely insane, brilliant match. Um, but then we, we were lucky with that. That was our only away only away draw not our only away win of course no (laughs) um but yeah we we amazing the Wimbledon one was just insane we got a lot of criticism about the the magic pitch beforehand and then they had the audacity to play us on a a cow field um and obviously they were going to wipe the floor with us and I think I stood in the away end just with my hands on my head going Oh my God, that's one of the best games I've seen in a long time. It was just everything was brilliant. I think the crowd was great, um, and I think it was Easty that actually livened us up a little bit because he put a, a fairly robust, decent, yeah, fairly decent challenge, which they were very upset about. But actually, when they when they frame by framed it, it was spot on. Yeah, um, and because of their 
they go at him. I think that just livened us all up. And yeah. at that point, and the like, sending off changed the match. Yeah, we, we would start. We're gonna, we're and it was a definite it. sending off. I, I was five <laughs> yards away, or you know, however far yeah. that was from the touchline, right in front of yeah. me. Clear, clear red card. Referee had no choice, and suddenly the momentum changed. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and then obviously we knew we were going to be having um, the Leeds match at yeah. that point. Um, we obviously, you know, in, we were in the King, Kingstonian ballroom after the game, and we're just looking at each other and going, "We're playing Leeds United again." And yeah. how many of us have, that were in that boardroom had actually been there that day? And it was—it's mm. crazy, really. That's what I say. We go back to what you said earlier about the continuity. It's forty-seven years later, and a large number of the directors in that boardroom had been at the Leeds game. Yeah. I was talking to uh, Ian and Brian Thompson recently, and we were thinking about the coach trips of the early 70s. Something like 25 to 30% of the people that regularly went on the coaches in the 72, 73 still go. Wow. That's half a century later. Yeah. It's crazy. Yeah, absolutely. And, and that's, and, and you've said it several times, it's where they hook you in. They, they, mm. they get you in to do a little job. And <laughs> 35 years later you're going no i've had enough now <laughs> like, that's what you think um but then obviously we we, we beat leeds um yeah. nice jamie collins penalty um and then it got cranked up to 11. there was a few things that took us by surprise in the build-up um the sudden demand for tickets because it was all like we don't need to we don't need to queue up really early and then suddenly it was like well hang on we're not going to have enough um and there was the mad scramble that i know yourself and other members of the board were getting some sponsors who put more tickets back um lessons learned obviously it was frustrating at the time and it would have been frustrating a hundredfold for you guys to be letting down your fellow fans yeah it i won't go into why because it blames a certain group of people for yeah, causing it so i won't do that but in the end of the day i think we've got to a situation where any genuine Sutton fan that wanted to go had the opportunity to have a ticket. Yeah, I, yeah. Every every single person who, who needed a ticket got one, as as, as f far as I know. Um, but yeah, there were a lot of people that were trying to go into the match. That I'm like, how on earth did you get a ticket? Um, but it was just the FA did warn us that the game would be out of our comprehension in terms of interest. Mm -hmm. Afterwards, we learned that the live TV audience globally for the match approached 200 million people. Yeah, I... We had a bigger audience on BBC One that night than EastEnders. Yeah. It was the most watched football match in the UK that year. There was one other that got more. I can't remember what it was. I... Yeah, it wasn't the FA Cup. It might have been the FA Cup final, but I'm not sure it was. Anyway, mm. it was ridiculous. It was crazy. Yeah. We had reporters phoning Tony Dalbert up wanting interviews at three o'clock in the morning from South Africa and mm. all sorts, you know, it's just crazy. Yeah. It really was crazy. Um, one, one, one person who gave a, I think people were trying to build it up to, to make out that he was going to be very snobbish about it, but Arsene Wenger was definitely not snobbish. And there was an interview where he was proper beaming going, this, this is a proper club. This, this is how it starts. He said something like, I came from a humble football background in a club like this. So mm -hmm. I like this. This is what I'm yeah. used to. Uh, yeah. Also, one of their directors, a fairly elderly gentleman, and he got to the ballroom and he was a little bit out of breath. 
And I think Bruce apologised, you know, I said to him, you know, what's the matter? And he said, oh, I've had to walk here from the end of the road. And Bruce said, oh, I'm sorry about that. We just didn't have any parking. He said, oh, don't apologise. He said, this is the most fun I've had in ages. It's years since I've walked down a crowded road with the supporters to go to a big game. He said, I don't normally get that atmosphere because I turn up in a chauffeur-driven car, get taken straight to my executive box. He said, this is what football's about. And Arsenal was fantastic. Yeah, genuine proper football club who treated mm -hmm. us with respect and courtesy all the way through. Yeah, and he even sent on at the time one of the best players in 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 Britain with um, Sanchez coming on um, for for the occasion. He said, um, and then Rory <laughs> nearly broke the crossbar. Oh yes, <laughs> it would have been interesting if that had gone in. That would have been yeah. interesting. They would have been rocking. There was about 20 minutes to go. So Jamie then had a chance from a header as well. Mm -hmm. Okay, it would have been different because if the ball had gone in, yeah, he wouldn't have had then had. But we had right. a couple of chances, and yeah, we, we definitely chance. we played and very, then... very well that night against a strong side. There was there was one bit of skill. I mean, I remember Sanchez from the World Cup when I thought I'd never heard of him before that World Cup. Mm -hmm. And I thought he was the best player, one of the best two or three players at the tournament. Then he came on to play against Little Sutton. And he came onto the sub, and I think the goalkeeper kicked the ball out to him on the wing, but he was at full speed, and he took the ball out of the air, five feet off the ground, at full speed, and brought it under control and went straight past his man with the ball at his feet. And I thought, okay. Yeah, that wasn't bad. Yeah, we're in trouble here. <laughs> but no, we, it, it was just amazing. Um, the strangest, it was all very strange, but I think the strangest part of it all was if we had won that, we would be playing Lincoln. Yes. Who we'd played in the league recently. And would have guaranteed uh, a non-league team in the semi-final. In a, a non-league team at Wembley. Um, but alas, it wasn't to be. Um, there were obviously other things that, that happened shortly after that, which I don't want to talk about. Um, but, yeah, we didn't sort of come to the end of the Doz era. Um, very difficult, obviously, but... Um, yeah, if you go back to the, the cut run, though, what was interesting from a committee point of view is obviously we look at statistics and trends, and we talked earlier about the crowd going up. And we've had cut runs in the past, and what always happens is when you've got a big game, people start to come down to see what the fuss is about, and people come down to get match tickets because they think, because it's what happens at Chelsea and other big clubs, in order to get into the big game, you need to prove you went to a yeah. game before to get a ticket. So the crowd goes up. And our crowd started going up more than it had already gone up. But then after the Arsenal game, it didn't drop. That never happens. It falls mm -hmm. away. Ours plateaued at that level for the rest of the season. Mm -hmm. And then the following season, yes, it had gone down, but nowhere near where it had started the previous season. If mm -hmm. you, well, what yeah. I'm saying. Yeah. Uh, and we thought, well, this is interesting. What do we do to keep these people involved? And then obviously loads of things happened. We, we win leagues and there's COVID and all sorts of things. So it's very hard to extrapolate trends out of that. But that was unusual. That following yeah. the cup game, our crowd didn't fall away again. Yeah, no, it's um, and also as you said, the the, the audience worldwide, they, we suddenly have people from America interested in us and all, all, all sorts. So many emails that I got from people wanting to buy into or buy the club. There was one guy who wanted to effectively give us quite a lot of money. I, was, I can't remember quite what it was. It was it was about six hundred k to take over the club but he would pay himself back out of the bar take. But within a year, we'd have paid him more money than he'd have paid us. Yeah. And we're thinking, 
on earth made you thought we'd ever go for that? <laughs> yeah, some some people try it, <laughs> but yeah, then, then we obviously the next big thing was um, we we lost Doz. Yeah, um, un understandable. I'm going to be honest. Um, with the, the the long journey and, and things maybe him feeling that oh, do you know what this this is as far as I can. I, I, I remember him when he joined us saying, my office is my car, which is why I have a nice car. The journey to Sutton's about an hour. It's not a problem. Mm -hmm. The time he left us, the journey to Sutton was two hours every day and two hours back. Mm -hmm. And it was getting him down. Yeah, no. Honestly, was. And he, he had some young twins as well. Um, yeah, he had, a, he had a large family. He had a young family. Uh, and, yeah. Yeah, we I've, always I've, knew, you always you always know that 10 years is a is a hell of a long lifespan for a manager yeah. so we knew it something was coming yeah. eventually i'll be honest i work 20 minutes down the road or work from home and i've got a four-year-old and i'm knackered i haven't got two of them so it's like okay yeah. I, I, I get that um the dis there was a sense of disappointment from our side that um his replacement job came up very quickly he did ever said he was not going to be in football. Um, and then he unfortunately used the same phrasing he used when he joined us. And well, it all like, worked, didn't it? So <laughs> why, why um, reinvent the wheel? Yeah. yeah, so, yeah. So yeah. It, it, but it, it made sense. And yeah. yeah, as I spoke to Matt yesterday, his first sort of first little half season or so maybe wasn't the results weren't the best. I think he said to himself, one win in 14. So there were questions. There were, but and we clearly you discussed those things in board meetings. Mm -hmm. So when Matt, when we interviewed Matt, uh, the one thing he'd said to us was, "Whatever my my team will be built this way, and that's how he plays his football, and they will always give a hundred percent. There'll be nothing left out there." Mm -hmm. uh, and we'd spoken to the players beforehand, and they said we love his training sessions. It's different. Uh, there's a sense of enthusiasm around, you know, we think is the right appointment. And so obviously when the results weren't going so well, we carried on speaking to the players and they said, oh, no, it's great. It's, we know what we're doing. We're enjoying it. We're just not getting any luck. And if you watched those games as a supporter, I think you'd have said the same thing. In virtually every game where we weren't getting points, we deserved to win or draw. Mm. We just couldn't put the ball in the net. And if we made a mistake at the other end, it was going in. Now, I know... That's happened to hundreds of clubs and they've ended up going down. And there comes a point in the season when you think, actually, we need to do something about it and it's easier to change the manager than all the players. Yeah. But we didn't get close to that point at Sutton. Uh, and we knew we were playing well, just not having a lot of luck. Then one or two things changed. Uh, ben Wyatt came in for that game at Yeovil, which was a very non-league story. The players hadn't met him. We picked him up on a motorway service station on the way down and signed him five hours before the game just before the limit or whatever it was and he comes in and plays a blinder mm -hmm. oh and we i think we lost at yeovil that night but we our form turned around we suddenly yeah. started the luck suddenly started going for us and we played yeah. slightly more on the front foot perhaps and actually and then you know then covid struck yeah so covid struck and i I haven't quite formulated this 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 idea, but at the time where things weren't quite going well, there were some dissenting grumbles. Um, and then obviously with COVID, there's no one there to, to make those grumbles. Um, 
which I'm not going to say save Matt, but obviously save. I you. think the Gunners had gone away because by that time our form was suggesting that we'd have ended the season in the playoff positions. Right. Okay. I'm sure people were grumbling, but that, that's probably. I, th I think the grumbling yeah. might have been a bit, little yeah. bit earlier. Yeah, our, yeah. our form leading up to COVID was uh, title chasing form. Yeah. We'd have, we were we were thinking to ourselves quite genuinely, we could end up in the playoffs here. <laughs> Um, the following season, though, <laughs> yeah, the following season was strange. Now, I've already mentioned I hated the Arsenal, I hated the following season <laughs> because what is the point of a football club that hasn't got people watching it? Yeah, does a tree make a noise in a forest if it falls when no one's there? So, we're playing these games in front of a few scouts and a few substitutes and a few stewards. It was back to your Sunday league games. It was, but you could. One of the differences you could hear Matt Gray. Yeah, you're in the stadium. You could hear Matt Gray, and yes. I think you could hear him on the video as well. Oh yeah, you could hear him loud and clear on the videos. And it was interesting because it would be sort of let's say Rob Milson or Ben White just in front of him, and he'd be going, "You need to be two yards deeper. You need to be five yards further forward. Get the right back to tuck in a yard." And it was precise. It wasn't about. It was. Yeah, it was like moving players on security pitch, you need to be there. Yeah, and the other managers weren't saying that, mm. and we ended up winning the league. And I'm convinced for, for all the goals that from the people scored, the manager earned us points yeah, by yeah. his tactical awareness during the match. Yeah, it was fascinating. He's, he's he's very quick to deflect and make sure everyone shares the um, the credit. And I did point out, I said, yeah, but there is someone pulling all the little strings and, and everything. So you've got to take some of it. Um, but it was obviously a difficult time for you as well, because you had to sort out just all the COVID stuff. Of yeah. Um, for my sins, I have, I'm an environmentalist, but I've worked for a firm where that meant also studying health and safety and getting various qualifications. And I'd been the ground safety officer. So when it, when the club needed to appoint a COVID officer, uh, everybody else took one step backwards and left me. <laughs> so, yeah, I took on the COVID officer role for, I suppose, about 16 months, mm. which meant writing plans for every single game, uh, reporting every incident of COVID to the league, going through all those procedures, but not just the first team, writing those COVID procedures for everybody down to the girls under sixes. No disrespect mm. to the girls under sixes, but, you know, club, yeah. everybody, writing them all. And for Sutton Common Rovers because they needed to use our ground when they were training as well. Mm -hmm. And for all the academy players and teams. Uh, and that really, really got onerous. Yeah. Uh, so coming from the back of the Arsenal game, which I didn't like, and then the non-stop COVID, and then the championship season, I'd already said, when I took on the job as chairman of the board, I'd do it for 10 years. Because I honestly mm -hmm. think, you have a lifespan, and I think after 10 years, you lose enthusiasm in a role, you you, you fall behind what current thinking and ideas are, and it's good to, for a change. Mm -hmm. And I think the timing ended up perfectly last, well, it's this summer that I've gone. I probably would have gone last summer if we hadn't been promoted, yeah. had all that groundwork, because mm -hmm. I didn't think it was sensible to add more confusion into yeah. what was going to be the most confusing and haphazard four or five months I've ever experienced uh, and also I was again the only person on the board of directors with 
enormous experience, not enormous experience, but any real experience of yeah. development, having worked for a property developer for 30 years. Uh, but I can honestly say I went at the right time because my enthusiasm and energy had just dwindled. Yeah. I, I'd found since the Arsenal game, it's just been so full on. I needed to refresh my batteries, and I think I went at the right yeah. time. And no. my, my skill set is around non league football clubs and how do yeah. you get caught out of a pint pot and how do you mm. save that last penny? Uh, and what we need now is people who know how to attract big sponsorships, how to run with commercial hats on. And I'm not mm -hmm. a financier, I'm not a commercial guy, I'm a marketing guy. I run small clubs. That's what I've done my whole life, yeah. meaning Sutton small, but I'm, you know, it's not, we're not Man United. Uh, and we need to be Man United now, and we need people mm -hmm. who can work in that sphere. And I think the transition came at the right time, and I think the people we've got on board know what they're doing. They're more suited to that task than me. So I think, uh, from my perspective, that's all worked out uh, reasonably well. Yeah, so you're, you're not on the board. No. Um, so this is the first sort of summer for a, a while. You're, you're not quite in the loop. Same as I, said, I, loop. Saw, yeah. I saw you, you put a post on the forum going, hang on a minute, I've got no inside knowledge here, but I'm going to tell you about Matt's plans. He plans everything to the nth degree, um, is what you're saying. He's meticulous. It, it must be a strange sort of feeling not... Yeah, yeah. yeah I'm not having I'm still. I'm not on the board, so I don't have insider information on anything, and I don't know what the board's planning to do now because I'm not involved. I am on what's now called the senior management team, and my role in that will be sustainability, corporate responsibility, those sorts of areas, mm -hmm. and also uh, for one year only, uh, looking to head to our 125th anniversary celebrations. So we're starting to plan that. Mm -hmm. So uh, I'm involved on that side, and. Although, in theory, I've got more free time, I've spent a lot of it writing uh, the Corporate sustainable, uh, Social Responsibility Report, mm -hmm. um, doing a lot about carbon footprinting, our travel and hotel stays and all this sort of thing to try mm -hmm. and uh, um, I, put out I an image about how the club is, is acting responsibly, which we are. Uh, and also, of course, uh, there will be a book for the 125th anniversary, and I don't think it's any secret that that will happen. But for the first time in 30 odd years, it won't be me that's writing it. It will be uh, a budding author, Johnny Lowry. Oh, very good, very good. Um, but I did, I did think when I think someone had said, "Oh, we could um, Dave will get a bit more time on his hands." I was like, "You don't understand this club at all, do you?" <laughs> we, we used to we used to have a, a a sort of an in joke if you're on the committee or board when people would say after the last game of the season, you must be looking forward to the summer break now. And you think, actually, from a management point of view, our break is during the season. Now the hard work starts because we've got to get the ground redecorated. We've got to work with the manager on the budget. We've got to sign players. We've all, Actually, we're really busy during the summer. <laughs> I think I, I said that to you last time I had you on as well, actually. Right. <laughs> um, but what, you're looking back over a long, long period of time. Sorry to say that. What would be your, what's your proudest achievement for you, for yourself? Something maybe that people didn't notice so much, but you did, and you were like, "This, I'm really proud of that moment." <sighs> Sorry, nothing really. Nothing um, centenary. I I like the two books we brought out for the centenary. I'm proud of both of those. They were yeah. a team effort. I just happened to lead the team, but they were a team effort, and I'm, I think they they were good. I like I like them. 
when I took over as chairman of the board, one of the things that was obvious to me was we were an aging board. We were out of touch with modern ways of doing things. And although there were people on the board that, that came on for other reasons, like Tim and AB, there were people on the board now that it was my call to go out and get them to join. Mm -hmm. So Dominic, I courted Dominic like he was a long lost date you're trying to go out with for the first time. Uh, we had coffee, we had meals over a number of years and I picked his brains and he was too busy in his job and we finally got him on board and I'm delighted that we did. Uh, Pat Carr, Mickey Joyce, uh, that was at the start of the season when we ended up playing Arsenal. Mm -hmm. uh, and I'd already said, we need someone in charge working with Tony who knows more about digital comms than we do. We're not very good at it. And Pat just happened to have been working in the record industry for yeah. a major company doing that. So why look anywhere else when we've got people yeah. who've spent a lifetime following the club, whose dad was at the club in 1937, for God's sake. Yeah. Um, so I'm pleased that those people, I'd gone out and persuaded the board, actually, no, we want these people on board. Um, mm. So I'm pleased with that. So because yeah. everything else, I've not had, had a hand in, but I'm pleased with that. There's loads of things. There's the whole. I know it's annoying and everything. It was the whole COVID thing. Was just the, the getting through it and answering emails from morons like me saying, "How do we do this? How do we?" And you're like, "Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's in hand. It's in hand. We're doing it all." Um, the COVID era. I will say the board responded better than I could have imagined in COVID. We went from meeting every two months in person to meeting fortnightly and then weekly over Zoom. Yeah, and everyone responded because we had we had no match income, we had no hiring income, we had no bar income, and yet the players still needed to be paid. Uh, we did everything we could, and everybody mucked in to save every penny, uh, and to maximise every opportunity we could for every grant that was available, for every means of raising income. So the fish and chip bar on a Friday night and the bottle bar everybody mucked in and not just the directors you know people like mark kidd as well and allison with the bottle bar we did everything we could and i think that helped make us stronger as well because all in it together again mm -hmm. yeah no it, it, it is it's a, a remarkable club and it's it, it's one that you're always really proud to be part of um even some small part i mean there's a, li the, a little thing in the run-up to um last season with the wembley match and I knew they were busy, but I asked Bruce and Matt if I could have an interview, and they treated me as if I was from the BBC. Um, and it was like, oh, my God, I, I, I don't want to take up much of your time. And Matt was like, crack on, I've got all evening, I'm fine. Um, so little things like that. I was like, this is an amazing club to be part of. Um, now, we are going to have to talk about Wembley. Um, yes. You're one of the, uh, well, I'm going to say select few, but it's not, it's not really select few. There's a huge number of people that have seen all four. Losses. No, I, I wasn't really 63. Oh, okay. So you're only on three. Yeah. <laughs> I I said recently I was there on the standing behind the goal. And how were you feeling as we were about to win? Because I was on the verge of tears. Nervous. Yeah. I hadn't taken it for granted that we were going to. Mm. When, when the ball went up for seven minutes, I was thinking, mm, I can't probably disagree, but I was hoping for five at the most. No one ever puts up seven, do they? And I thought, no, it's a long time. Uh, and when the goal 
when they equalized i literally just slumped down in my seat and my wife looked round, and uh she said you don't think we're gonna win now do you i said no no chance <laughs> no. because it's the goal isn't just a goal in any game like that it takes half the energy out of the team that's just considered mm -hmm. the goal yeah and you know we extra time was not what we needed no no we we've, we've all done this to death but yeah as soon as it went in you're like we might as well just pack up now because we know we know how this is going to go for the next half hour um but it was still an amazing day to to, to be there yeah um, it was i mean from a personal point of view i'd obviously always wanted to go back to wembley and i can't believe it's 41 years since we were there before uh you never assumed having been there twice in 12 years you never assume that it's not going to happen again mm -hmm. and i already mentioned that game against wickham when i thought we deserved to get to wembley that season and we didn't and i was devastated because as match secretary i wanted to go behind the scenes and do every, you know do all of that yeah. uh, and i thought well I'm, I'm going at the end of the season i'm never going to get the chance to go behind the scenes so in the very last competition in my last season where we had a chance to get to Wembley, we did it. So thank you, Matt and Dean and everybody else that got, that got us there. Uh, so it was nice to go behind the scenes. Uh, I'm glad I experienced that. But as I mentioned earlier, I think football is about the glory. And the one thing Sutton United have not done that I've seen is win at Wembley. Mm. And before I shuffle off this mortal coil, they're bloody well better. Because otherwise <laughs> I'll be very, very angry. He's fairly, he's, I think he's targeting it again. Um, so hopefully <laughs> we'll be back there. I would honestly, I would more than anything, I would love to see us win at Wembley. Yeah, I think it'd be different if we did get there again because I knew there was a chance, obviously, with the playoffs. Um, I think, I think Robbo, um, said, um, Oaksy, sorry, said, um, our 50th professional match was at Wembley. And if everything panned out, our 60th could have been at Wembley as well. Mm. Um, but I think if we went back, it wouldn't be such a sort of emotional, oh, my God, we're at Wembley. Isn't it amazing? It'd be like, OK, we're here now. Now we can concentrate on the match. Um, not that the players were over, overwhelmed or anything, but it's, I think for all of us, there was a definite nervous, oh, my God, we're at Wembley. Yeah. I and then we came close. I mean, who'd have thought that in our debut season we'd score, was it, a record number of points to not make the playoffs? Yeah. On the last day, we, we had to win at Harrogate. And the top two, surely one of them is going to win? Either of the top two win. That is just, they don't? If, if that had been said to you in August, right, last game of the season, all you've got to do is win against a team who's got nothing to play for and either of the top teams win. You'd be like, yeah, I'll have that. Thanks yeah. a lot. I think that'll be amazing. Yeah. Um, but it probably would have been too... Say that, V, and... It would have been wonderful to get back to Wembley. It would be nice to be looking at the prospect of League One. If I wear that I haven't worn for a few years as a ground safety officer, I'd have probably emigrated to Australia because the prospect <laughs> of uh, fans coming from some of those clubs where they bring a 1,000 fans, mm. even though our capacity is now increased, it's not getting them in the ground. It's being able to manage the situation. Yeah. And I think... You know, sometimes you need to walk before you can run. Yeah, no, it, I think it probably would have been a bit, a bit early. As, uh, however, however much we love and, and believe in the players, I think the energy levels required to carry on for another season and potentially getting beaten more would drive people away a little bit. So it's good that we yeah, yeah. up, 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 a, up a league two. We'll be fine. Uh, 
be all right. Um, but just to, to wrap it up, what obviously a, another trip to Wembley, a winning trip to Wembley. But what else are you looking forward to? What what sort of Sutton ambitions do you have aside from from that now? Honestly, that's the only one. <laughs> I've, I've seen Sutton do everything else that I could ever wish, wish to see. They've won in Europe, albeit in the Anglo Italian. I've seen them and win. Got, and a Scottish, the Scottish thing as well. We didn't that. win it. No, we didn't win. Oh, no, we won games. Sorry. Yeah, we, we, we played that, yeah. those <laughs> memorable games against Adrianians and uh, Bohemians, but we didn't win. So we've won every league that I've seen us play in, other, of course, than so far than the EFL 2. Yeah. I've seen us get to Wembley. I've seen us win all the other cups, the Surrey Senior, the Hitachi Cup, the London Senior, Tom Fuller Trophy. Uh, so I'd love to see us win at Wembley. Everything other than that, it would be nice to have another cup run because that's always <laughs> nice. I'll go back to football is about the glory. It's an yeah. entertainment. It's a sport. It's a passion. Um, playing season after season, coming 14th and avoiding relegation from whichever league you're in is okay. But somewhere in there, you've got to do something that makes yeah. your heart pound. Yeah. And you worry about... Are they going to hit closer? They've got no. We've won. Yeah. We've done it. We've beaten. Yeah. We've beaten Coventry. We've whatever it is, and it's the excitement. That's why we all come back. We want yeah. to see our team do something that they've never done before. So, I guess promotion at some point into League Two. But the only other, my only other ambition, will be to not see us be relegated, mm. because relegation just it's, it's horrible. Yeah. You know what division you're in, being relegated, says actually we were the worst. Yeah. I don't want that if that's your club. I don't no. care whether that's the Premier League to the Championship or if it's Isthmian to Isthmian South. You don't want to be relegated. No. So no. win at Wembley and don't be relegated. <laughs> there you go. That's all, that's all we need, Matt. Um, thank you. Thank you so much for your time. Um, I said about half an hour and I've got way over that. So. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you very much. Um, it is really nice for people to sort of hear a different side of what we see. Um, and um, thank you, basically, for all, all the things you've done, all those late evenings, all those early starts, everything you've done over all, all those years. And personally, thank you for all the emails that you responded to to me over the years. Um, you don't notice it. I mean, for the first 53 of the 55 years, you don't notice it. <laughs> uh, you do it because you enjoy it. So I'm looking forward now to seeing later this week who these new signings are going to be and will I have ever heard of them? Will I know who they are? Yeah. Are they, yeah. Are they any good? How, you know, are they going to guide us to even greater glories? And that, that's the thing. <laughs> you start every season with a blank sheet of paper and you're all level on the opening day. Absolutely. And the, the one thing we know is they're going to try and they're going to run. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's the one thing you know. You yeah. won't turn around and say, ah, players aren't putting the effort in. No, no. It's not for many, many years can we say that now. Um, but yeah, thank you very much and um, take care and we'll see you all around the ground. You will. I've no idea what I'll be doing on match day, but I'll be doing something. So yeah. As long as it's not in my spot, you'll be, you'll be fine. I promise. <laughs> all right. Thank you. Take care. Cheers. No problem. Bye. Podcast Network.
Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, lo. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.